Hello, I'm Sean. Welcome to Wellspring Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad that you're listening today. For more information on all that's happening at Wellspring, please visit our website at www.wellspringbaptistchurch.org. I hope this message is a blessing to you. As we've been, uh, we've been studying in the book of Acts, we've seen, you know, the preaching of the gospel. We, we've seen uh, the church uh, started, um, God beginning to add to the church by the preaching of the gospel, by the move of God's Holy Spirit. But with that, with God's work, also there comes opposition. So there's a lot of progress that you see in the work of the Lord and the church being started, the church being planted and and uh, beginning to grow in missions work in the book of Acts. But you also see, you know, there's a lot of opposition that comes uh, with that. In Acts chapter 5, just to kind of get into the context here, uh, this is a persecution. Peter uh, was put in prison uh, for preaching. And in verse 29, as they're um, threatening him, uh, he says in Acts 5.29, then Peter, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. That's true, isn't it? We ought to obey God rather than man. He says in verse 33, when they heard that, the Pharisees and the high, the high priests and the, all the, the ruling class, uh, uh, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So they plan on uh, killing them and then stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So Gamaliel, one that's respected, one that's in the council, a doctor of the, the law, the law of Moses here, a well-respected uh, lawyer, if you will, in the, in the things of of uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, he says, give them some space. Give them some room. And, and, he, and he says the reason why in verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it shall come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it lest happily you find even to fight against God. Now this uh, man has some pretty good advice here for the, them that are being hasty to, to kill Peter and to slay the apostles to, to kill him. Now this Gamaliel, this isn't the only time that we hear of him in the Scripture. Paul, during his testimony in Acts chapter 22, uh, said that this is who he uh, learned under. This is who trained Paul as a Pharisee. Paul the Apostle was a Pharisee. He was, uh, he was part of the, uh, the ruling class in, the, in, the, in, the, um, in those days persecuting the church and he was trained under Gamaliel. Of course we know what, what Paul the Apostle thought of his upbringing, what he thought of all the training that he had. He's, he, in his letter to the Philippians, said in Philippians 3 and verse 4, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man think he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So Paul says, listen, I have reason to believe in myself. I have reason to believe in my 
credentials. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law, Paul said about himself. I was a Pharisee. He said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which was in the law, blameless. So Paul said, listen, before I was a Christian, before I was born again, before I I came to know Christ, I had all the reason in the world to trust in myself. He said, I was taught in the best schools. Gamaliel was the best teacher. He said, I was taught in the best schools, was, had the best pedigrees. He said, I had all the things to trust in. He says, I was blameless according to the law. You couldn't find any fault in my life. But then he says this in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, he says, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul said, all those things, all those credentials, all those things that I could have put uh, as, uh, as uh, credentials in my life, he said, I counted those loss so that I could know Christ and that I could follow Christ. And I think that this teacher here, Gamaliel, had some pretty good advice when he's talking to the rest of the Pharisees, telling them to give them some space, because he says, listen, if this is is of God, it can be overthrown. And the last thing that you would want to do is find yourself fighting against God. And now this advice had come just kind of a little late, because this is the same crowd that had crucified Christ just several days before this. But it's interesting that even though they crucified Christ, God was still showing them mercy and making forgiveness available to them. Sending Peter to preach to them on the day of Pentecost. Sending Peter to preach and offering forgiveness even after they had crucified Christ. I think that this is a good point for us that if something is of the Lord, it cannot be overthrown. Sometimes I think that we, uh, as humans, have uh, we make the mistake of bringing God down to our level, thinking of Him as if He thinks like we think, thinking of Him as if His ways are our ways. One of my favorite prophets, Isaiah. Look what. Take your Bibles and turn there with me, if you would. I, Isaiah chapter fifty-five. Isaiah chapter fifty-five. In verse 6. Isaiah 55 in verse 6. He says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Hey, I've got good news this morning. That the Lord Jesus Christ, that the God of the universe, the Creator, He is not far from us. He can be heard. Uh, he, he will hear our cry. He can, be, uh, he can be reached as we come to Him simply by seeking Him. He says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy upon him. He says, And to our God, He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, saith the Lord. So God's thoughts, God's ways, they are different than man's ways. He says, for the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. He says in verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing wherein I sent it. So the prophet here says, listen, God is not like us. That's that's an important part as we begin to study God and we begin to know God is that His ways and His thoughts are not like us. Yeah, sure, God became man. Jesus Christ. He became man and He took sin upon Himself, our sin upon Himself to die for our sins, to take our place. But He is so much higher. I mean, God sees things differently. Why? It's because He has a different perspective. To think that God knows uh, the end from the beginning, that, that God is eternal. He knows the future just as well as He knows the past. This is an interesting, interesting thought that we would say, now, we have no idea, you know. We have no idea of all these. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, we can plan, we can think, but God does. He has all power. He's omnipotent. He has, he's, he's all present. He, omnipresent. He has all, he's all-knowing, omniscience. He knows everything. He knows all these things. And God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will re- begin to reveal these things to us. He'll begin to give us the mind of God. The Bible says, yea, even the deep things of God. So how is it that we begin to get the mind of God? How is it that we begin to get the, the thoughts of God? It's through His Word and by His Spirit. The Bible says there in Corinthians The natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. See, God's Word is truth. God's Word, He said there in that passage, that it will not return void. God's Word being eternal, God's Word having power, great power, it will not return void. Listen, if it is of God... If this is of God, it cannot be overthrown. The philosophies of the world, the world today, would overthrow God's Word. Almost as if, if enough people disagree with it, then it's not true. Almost as if, that if, if the majority says it's outdated, then it's not true and it's not relevant. As if it's void. But he says, my word will not return void. This is truth and it cannot change. It is of God. And I I challenge to say that the word of God, although many superpowers down throughout history have tried to put the word of God out, tried to destroy it, tried to get rid of it, it cannot be overthrown. It is God's word. And it is truth. And it does not matter who would rise up against it or would stand against it. It would not be overthrown. Listen, the simple truth, the message being simple today, we cannot fight against God. Right? We cannot fight against God. That is a losing battle. 
the progressive crowd today, atheist groups, they are at war with God. I mean, they are suing God. They're, they're suing churches. They're suing Christian organizations. They're fighting them tooth and nail as if by hiring lawyers, they can change God's mind. But it cannot happen. It will not happen. Listen, this is happening in America, in a country where we were founded on godly principles and founded on the Word of God. We have groups today that would rise up and try to stop anything that is godly and anything that is truth. People that believe there is no God are very angry with Him. That's interesting to me, to think that someone that believes there is no... I mean, if I really thought that there was no Santa Claus, I could care less what people did about Santa Claus. I would not sue him or sue anyone who is organized with him, right? I would not spend my life's goal trying to shut him up and the things that he says. Listen, people know deep down in their heart that there is a God and He cannot be overthrown no matter how many lawyers, no matter how many governments, no matter how much power is rises up against them. And by the way, this uh, morality that comes uh, with, with these things, don't allow someone to tell you that this is a political stance or that this is a progressive stance because it is as old as, as, as anything out there. This, th- there have been ungodly societies that have pushed this from before Noah's Ark. Sodom and Gomorrah, the pharaohs, the Roman government. I'm telling you, this is not, you know, it's packaged as if this is the new thing. This is progressive. No, this is not the new thing. You know, this is a, a, this morality that is deprived and perverted and a, and, a, and a culture of death. Listen, this is not a new thing. This may be a new thing for a country that said, in God we trust. But this is not a new thing for our world. It's actually an old thing. It's stepping back in time. And, a, and it is a losing battle. You can try to shut it up. You can try and say it's not true. You can say you don't agree with it. And the philosophies of this world are against God. And that is clear to see. But that is a losing battle. Now for us as Christians, it's easy for us to to look at the philosophies of the world. Those things that I just said. It's not hard to get Christians to say, yeah, that's right. right, The world's wrong. But what about us? What about us as Christians? Isn't there even little ways in our life that we try to fight against God? We have, uh, let me say it this way. We want our will over His will. Even as Christians, even as followers of Christ, we want our will over His. That too is a losing battle. Listen, God has revealed His will to us. God has revealed His will to us. His Word is His will. It's interesting to hear and see, you know, sometimes many people that argue with God to say that God would not do this or God would do that or God wouldn't do this, but it's always off of their own opinion of who they think God is instead of God telling us who He is. Remember, 
We don't get to make the I know this seems crazy. We don't get to make the rules. We were created. He created us. He made us. And his will is being revealed to us. We can choose to disobey God's will. But we've seen and have so many examples in God's word of people who have chosen to do that. And didn't, I mean, I think of Jonah. God said, I want you to go. I want to have mercy on the wicked city, Nineveh. You know what Jonah said? As a, he said, I don't want Nineveh to have mercy. I don't want to go preach to Nineveh, right? So he did something really brilliant. And, and, and this is you know, maybe a lesson for us. If you're running from God's will, don't get on a ship, right? Don't go and get on a boat. Because we know that God has a way of dropping us off right back where we need to be, right? He took Jonah and dropped him off right where he needed to be. You think of Adam and Eve. I mean, I'm talking the first man and woman. God said, thou shalt not eat, right? What'd they do? They ate, and there's been issues ever since, hasn't there? I mean, there have been problems in our society ever since that time. It affects us even now, and it affects us even today. You say, but the Bible is hard to understand. Listen, none of us understand everything in the Bible, right? I mean, it's written by God. If we did understand everything in the Bible, then we would have to conclude that it was written by man. But because we don't understand everything, and it's deep but how things work together uh, with multiple writers over hundreds and thousands of years, how they all work together in even different languages, we believe that, hey, the Holy Spirit of God is the author of this word, and no, we don't understand everything, but we understand a lot. There's a lot here that is clear. It's not the hard things I don't think that God will hold us accountable for. It's the simple black and white things that he tells us in his word that he expects us to obey and he expects us to believe. You know what the Bible says in Psalms 119.105? And this should be for a Christian, for for a church, this should just be the simple truth of our life. Psalm 119.105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what the world expects, even if they don't believe the Bible, even if they don't believe uh, what God says, the world expects churches to believe the Bible. The world would expect an individual, a Christian, someone who says they're a Christian, to use the Bible as the as the compass of their life. Wouldn't wouldn't that be the definition of a Christian? Someone that is a Christ follower? Well, how will we follow Christ? By reading what he says and following. I know that that's simple. But honestly, even if we call ourselves a Christian nation, it's so interesting that how many that call themselves Christians have not thought to use the word of God as the lamp to their feet and the light to their path. It's important that we do it. You say it's not politically correct. There's been, I don't know that it ever will be. If we're waiting for it to be, you know, the end thing, we might be waiting a long time. I see that when uh, all throughout Christian history for the last 2,000 years, very few times has it ever been the end thing. 
But it's the truth. It's the truth. Not my will, this should be our prayer, not my will, but thine be done. This is, this is how God begins to lead us, how he begins to... Listen, I know that there is written down, thou shalt nots in the Bible, right? Some things that we don't have to question, is this right or wrong? But there's other things that God begins to reveal. So there's God's will revealed in our life, and then there's other things where it's God's will being revealed. You know, where should I, what career should I have? Well, that's probably not a verse, a scripture and verse, where God says this is what you're supposed to do. Where should I live? You know, who should I marry? Uh, certain big questions like that. And even down with the smaller questions, uh, you say you might not find the scripture and verse, but I do believe that God will reveal his will to you. As you seek, as you ask, and as you knock. Look, look with me in a popular passage in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Romans 12. Paul, writing to the believers at Rome, he says this in verse 1. This is a great passage. Maybe maybe read this whole, whole passage when you go home today. It's kind of broken out to where the first part is Paul tells the believers to dedicate their lives to God. Just dedicate your life to God. Then he talks about the believer's service to the Lord. And then he talks about how the believer can treat those within the church, within the body of Christ. And then he tells believers how to treat those in the world, those that are lost. This is a great passage, and it's, it's speaking directly to us now today. But he starts with this. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brother. He's talking to Christians. Brother, I beseech you. That's a, I, I, I'm begging you. I beg you. I'm beseeching you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There has to be a presentation. He's already talking to Christians. I've already been saved. I've already accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Paul says, yeah, I'm talking to you, but there is even maybe one more step of surrender, of presentation to the Lord. Where you say, yeah, I'm yours, Lord. I've been born again. But now, God, I want you to take control of my life. I want to follow you at any cost. He says, uh, your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Right? That's what we were just talking about. This world has a philosophy. And if we're not careful, our mind will be conformed to it. There's pressures. There's pressures to be conformed to that way of thinking. He says, but no, don't, don't, don't do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You say, I want to find out, this, this is, this, people always get backward all the time. I want to find out what God's will is for my life. I want to find out, you know, God's just got to drop it on me, right? He's just going to, you know, there's going to be a light that shines down from heaven uh, in a loud voice. And that may happen for you. But that's not typically what happens. Many times it starts like this. I surrender my life to you. I make a presentation. God, I, I, I trust your will over mine. And then, and then, he begins to transform our mind. And we begin to take on the mind of Christ. And he just shows us day by day, 
day by day. I don't know that anyone in here has ever, maybe you have, but God's just told you how your whole life's going to go, right? Typically, it's what? Day by day, bit by bit, and then you look back and you say, wow, God has a purpose. God has a will. God has a plan in my life. But it comes to a point where, hey, I had to surrender. I had to, listen, I had to make a presentation. I believe, I'm talking to believers here this morning, those who have accepted Christ, but, but just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you've made that presentation. You've brought yourself before the Lord, maybe in a private place, maybe in a church service, maybe in a private place in your home or somewhere quiet and said, Lord, I am yours. I will follow your will over mine. I will believe. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. Right? Knock and it shall be given unto you. Uh, 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 or ask and it shall be given unto you. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's a simple verse. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, seek, knock. There's promises. Ask, seek, knock. You say, I'm trying to find God's will. Ask, seek, knock. He says in James 1, if any man lack wisdom, what? Let him ask of God. God's will is not tricky. He's not trying to hide it from us. He wants to reveal it to us. But He wants us to seek Him. Seek Him where? In His Word, and in prayer, and in humility, and in surrender. So many times we have a, a purpose, a plan for our life, and we think that we can fight against God, even as Christians. We can just force our own thing, our own way, instead of taking time to say, Lord, this is the direction I'm heading, but if you have a different plan, show me. And I'm open. I'm willing. I'm ready. I believe it. Listen, we can't fight against God. We know that, right? But here's the flip side of this, and the good side, the good side, the exciting side, is if God fights for us, who can be against us? You say, we're the minority. Who cares? You say that the world's upset with this, that people are, it doesn't matter. Right? If God is fighting for us. I've been reading in my, just the daily uh, Bible reading in, in 2 Kings, so turn there. These are some of my, my favorite. Elisha, the prophet. The prophet after Elijah. He was a prophet. He reigned during, or he, he, he prophesied during three of the uh, kings of, of Israel. Um, Ahab's son, and, and then two others after that. And uh, this is the stories in, in 2 Kings about Elisha. I love it. But uh, in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 6, the, Syrians, the Syrian army here is planning an attack on Israel. And even though Israel at this point in time is not following close to the Lord, God's still protecting them. And and so every time that the generals and the kings would get together in the Syrian army, Elisha, God would tell them what, they, what their conversation was. And Elisha would walk into Israel and say, okay, here's what their game plan is. Here's their battle plan. This happened time and time again. But finally, the Syrian king's like, we have a spy, right? There's someone in our ranks that's telling. And then someone found out. He said, no, there's a prophet in Israel. His name's Elisha. And he knows what you're saying in your bedroom. I mean, this is like the original, you know, wiretappings from David. 
And so the king of Syria has the bright idea. This guy can hear everything I'm saying and all the discussions that we're having. Let's go capture him, right? Let's go get him. Let's go find this prophet, Elisha, and let's take him. So Elisha's down in Dathan, uh, Dothan in verse 13 of 2 Kings chapter 6. And he said, go, the Syrian king said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dathan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host cometh uh, compasseth the city both with horses and with chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He wakes up in the morning, the Syrian army has compassed their city about. And the, and the servant of Elisha comes out and says, What are we going to do? Right? What are we going to do? Verse 16. And he answered. Elisha says to his servant, the young man, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Man, I love that. Elisha said, I don't worry. That's just the little Syrian army out there. We've got a lot more on our side. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open the eyes that he may open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes and the young man saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha didn't just have an army, didn't just have chariots. I mean, he had flames on his chariots. And he said, Lord, open up the eyes of this young man to see that when God is fighting for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? You know what we need as Christians sometimes? We need these prayers of saying, listen, God, I have some obstacles. I have some things in my life. But Lord, open up my eyes so by faith I can see that if you are with me, I don't care who is against me. I don't care what is against me. God, if you are with me, if you are. Listen, for Christians, this is all we need is, is the Lord with us. And if he is with us, nothing else matters. Sometimes we need that prayer, though, of open up our eyes. These stories here with Elisha are amazing. The power of God. Listen, we serve the same God that Elisha served. We serve the same God that Elisha served. He says in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 1, we've preached messages on this here before, but he says in verse 1, And Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. The Syrians had, come, uh, had, had surrounded the capital city. Samaria was the capital city at that time of the northern kingdoms of Israel. And he had surrounded it and shut off the food supply. They were all starving to death. And Elisha walks in. I mean, they were all starving to death. What they were eating and what they were doing was awful. And so Elisha walks in and says, tomorrow at this time there's going to be so much food, there's going to, the economy's going to change like that. There's going to be so much food and so much prosperity that food won't even have any value. It's going to be such an abundance. What a claim. And the Lord, verse, verse 2, Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make the windows of heaven 
uh, open up the windows of heaven might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. You know what the problem was with the king's advisor? He didn't believe in God. He said, Listen, even if God opened the windows of heaven, this thing couldn't happen. You know what happened? It did happen. It did happen. It was four lepers sitting outside the gate. You know what they said? By sitting here till we die, walk out into the camp of the Syrians and find out that God had already wiped away, took care of the Syrians, and they had all their food and all their stuff. And just as the prophet said, the next day there was so much food and so much abundance that food didn't even have a very good value. But there was one man that got to see it and couldn't taste of it because he was trampled in the, in the gate. Why? Because he lacked faith. You know what I find interesting when I read this about the four lepers sitting outside of the capital city of Israel? Is that there was lepers in Israel at this time. You say, why? why? Why is that interesting to you that there was lepers in Israel at this time? Turn back just a couple chapters to 1 Kings First King, Second Kings chapter five. Second Kings chapter five. Naaman, right? He's the captain. He's the general of the Syrian army, right? He had taken captive this little maid, this little maid, this little girl. He had taken her captive from Israel, and this general of the Syrian army, he had leprosy, right? And this little maid from from Israel said to Naaman, the general, said, "Oh, verse." Uh, Verse 3, and, and she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. There's a girl, a captive girl from Israel in Syria telling the general of the Syrian army that if he could get to Samaria, he could be healed of his leprosy. And there's lepers in Samaria. And then we continue to read down. Naaman says, all right, if there's a prophet that can heal me of my leprosy, let me go. So where does he go? He goes to the king first. He goes to the king in verse 7. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that a man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, he seeketh, uh, seeketh a quarrel against him. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he went to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. You know what I find interesting about this whole passage? Is that there's a prophet in Israel that believes in the one true God and the king is living in the same city as him and doesn't even know it. This little maid knew it and she's a captive in Syria. But the king doesn't even know that there's a man of God, that there's a God at work in his city. And here's the challenge for us. As we seek God's will, we know He has called us to be light. He's called us to be salt. He's called us to be fishers of men. And I challenge you that there are people in this little town, in this state, in this country that doesn't know the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. That they can be forgiven the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
that there is a God that can forgive them and redeem them and give them salvation. We have it. We know it. We know that there's a God that can do it because he did it for us. And even in our own city and in our own neighborhoods, in our own circles of influence, I, 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 I challenge us that people that we know fairly well don't even know that their sins can be forgiven, that they can have the peace of God that passes understanding, that they can be in fellowship with the Lord by and through salvation. Listen, if God would fight for us, who could be against us? You know what this takes in closing? This takes a, a shift in our mind, a shift in our heart to now believe not my will, but His will. Right? It's not my power, but His power. It's not going to be by my resources, but His resources. It's not from my understanding, but His understanding. Right? And when we, believe, when we begin to think like that, that it's by the Lord and through the Lord, I think some of our anxiety will go away. Some of the pressures of, I've got to be perfect, I've got to perform, I've got to do all these things. No, it's the Lord in us and through us, and if He hasn't chosen to do it, then that's His prerogative. That's His will, not mine. I'll trust Him. I'll believe Him. Sometimes as Christians, we have this way of falling into a trap that we say something like, I know what the Bible says, but my circumstances are different. We have, that, we have an ability to say, well, I know what the Bible says and I know what God would have me to do, but when the time is right, like I'm waiting for that right opportunity, I'm waiting for this time, but I believe as Christians, now's the time. We surrender our life to the Lord and say, Lord, Thy will be done. Listen, God doesn't reveal all of His will to us at once. And I all should be thankful for that. He gives us what little bit we, we can take, what we can handle. But if He's revealed something to us, if He's put something in our hearts or put something on our lives, I think as men and women of faith, we have to act on it. We have to act on it. Believing that His plan His purpose for our life is better than our own. It is. It is. But sometimes it takes faith to believe that. His thoughts, His plans, they're different than ours. But He'll fight for us. He'll provide for us. He will show us a way as we seek Him in His Word. Listen, today, this is a call to action. There's messages where we have where we have to not just go away and think about it, but this is a time where we say, listen, there's areas of my life that I need to surrender. There's areas of my life that I need to humble myself and present to God. So we're going to sing, we're going to sing a song, uh, but if the Lord's spoken to you, I, I suggest that you just stay in your seat and pray and talk to the Lord, or even while we're singing, that you talk to the Lord and, and do business to God. Say, Lord, I'm surrendering my life. I want today to be that day that I make the presentation, that I let God know that it is His will and not my will. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. We'd love to hear from you and learn how you've been encouraged or challenged by this podcast. Please leave a comment on the Contact Us page on our website, or 
You could write to us at P.O. Box 641, Springboro, Ohio, 45066. And feel free to visit us anytime that you're in the Springboro, Ohio area.